The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. This day has been created so that Christ can be honored, just like every day. And we're going to do that together, and I invite you to stand. Good morning. My name is Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors here, and we just welcome you to this time together to worship God. And the biggest reminder right now is just to welcome God into our thought life. Whatever your week has held, whatever this morning has held, to say, Lord, we just want to get our sight on you right now. We want to worship you for who you are. We want to enjoy you and celebrate you together. And when we do that, the Lord says, I also want you to know each other, love one another. So again, welcome here. If you're new to our church family, visiting us online, please take time to go to our website to fill in the welcome card or download the app. Uh, There's a card in the chair in front of you if you'd want to use that to let us know of your visit. And let us know of ways that we can connect with you, pray for you, celebrate with you. And I have some fun news for you today. Every time you see one of those lambs with a flower, we have a new addition to our church family. So uh, Danielle Brianne was born on Thursday, April 21st, to Josh and Kaylee Hollins. Let's just thank the Lord and celebrate with them today. We have had a lot of babies born in the last two years in our church, and we want to let you know that we're going to do a baby dedication on Mother's Day. So if that's of interest to you, would you please call Kevin, contact Kevin, and we look forward to celebrating with you that way. Uh, As you think about your children and you want to raise them in the love of the Lord, one of the best ways I think of doing that over the summer is by providing them an opportunity to go to camp. Let them worship God in the awe of nature as, as adults love them and care for them. And so we want to let you know that Camp Nudimic is so glad to be able to say that they can do full, day, full week camps now, not just day camps. This year they're going to go back to full week camps, and that's a wonderful uh, blessing that we can celebrate that. And then uh, there's a fundraiser coming up for Nudimic as well. This is on Saturday, May the 14th at 5 o'clock, Victoria Inn. And so this is the primary fundraiser of the camp each year. We have some really uh, generous people who love the camp, love the Lord, and they've bought enough tickets that if you want to go to a dinner at the fundraiser, the ticket is yours for free. You just need to talk with Erica Cooper and then go and enjoy the guest speaker and then just give as the Lord directs your heart to do so. I want to encourage you in that as well for our church family. If you're wanting to worship God through uh, giving, there's a number of ways that you can do that. You can do e-transfers, texting, uh, direct deposit. You can write a check, cash. There's many different ways you can do that. So we just want to let you know that uh, for that part of worship, there's a few options for you there. If you're younger, 15 all the way to 29, you're saying, but Doug, I don't have any money. Well, then, you know what? There's a job for you at the church this summer, potentially, with the green team. So we're accepting applications for that. A lot of that job would be working outside, helping with maintenance, taking care of maybe the pathway, but also then preparing things for our children's ministry. And so if that is of interest to you, it would be kind of uh, June into September, and uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. So please bring your resume to the church office by, I think it is uh, Sunday, May the 8th, if I remember correctly. I also want to let you know about our Ukraine task force. You've seen the tree in the lobby as far as Ukraine prayer tree. Um, We're going to be leaving that there for one more week. Please feel free to go and write a prayer on a piece of paper and put it on the tree or in the prayer box. And uh, we just continually want to be keeping uh, the people in Ukraine in our prayer life, people in Russia, everybody involved, that they in this 
will still encounter God and depend on God and ask for wisdom of God. And, and we also wanna just be ready for practical helps. So till the end of this week, I think till Thursday, we're accepting gently used clothing, household items. You can bring them to Emmy Drisky's house. She lives just here in White Ridge. The address is in the bulletin. And that's gonna be going to a warehouse on Saturday so that when new refugees are coming in from Ukraine that there's things to have ready for them uh, to give them. There's also a prayer vigil this afternoon at Calvary Temple at 2.30 if it interests you. And that information is online as well. Then I also wanna let you know about Mission Fest that's coming up this weekend. It's from Friday to Saturday. For families, there's actually a mini Missions Fest Friday night at 8.30. And uh, for young adults, they're having an after-hours worship night with uh, Bread We Break, and that's starting at 9.30, so that's Friday. Saturday, there's five main sessions, I guess, throughout the weekend. There's about 100 exhibitions. There's a whole bunch of breakout sessions. At 1.15, our own Tim Noble is sharing about how to live as a world Christian. So please make use of this opportunity, especially if you've had some inkling that God's calling you to missions, whether to go or just to be more aware of supporting in prayer and finance. It's a wonderful opportunity we have in our city. And uh, the last thing I want to mention is uh, I'm going to watch a short video that's uh, from one of our Justice and Mercy team members and her daughter. It's Karen Ozarek and Amy. And it's about the dignity of life. That's one of our primary concerns when we're thinking about justice and mercy in this world. How do we uphold the dignity of life in a positive and uh, life-giving, encouraging way? And so let's watch this video together. I hope it blesses you. Job 12.10 says, For the life of every living thing is in his hand, and the breath of every human being. A few weeks ago, I read an article on the Focus on the Family website, and here's what they said. Coming into our world and leaving it are two of the most mysterious, holy, and vulnerable times in life. As followers of Jesus Christ, we hold fast to the promise that our lives are in God's hands, and that He who created us in our mother's womb sees every moment before we draw that first breath. Indeed, every day is recorded in His book. He knew us before we were born, and he walks by our side as we labor in death. Still, there are those who advocate and legislate the hastening of death. That's why every stage of life needs protection. And while we must speak up for the preborn and those who are sick or dying, it's essential that we acknowledge that behind these issues are real people, hurting people, people facing challenges that can seem overwhelming. Our Canadian federal government is proceeding to hasten death in our country. We see this in two different ways. First of all, in the MAID program. Last year, the government passed Bill C-7, which is an amendment to the criminal code that removes the criteria that someone must be dying in order to receive MAID. It also includes people whose only medical condition is mental illness. Secondly, our current Liberal government has promised to revoke the charity status of crisis pregnancy centres across Canada. In mid-December, the Prime Minister called the Minister of Finance to start the process, which does not require a vote in the House of Commons. So what can we do? First, we can pray. We will also have a Dignity of Life devotional week with pro-life guest contributors that will be available in the Resource Centre and through our weekly newsletter online. The second thing you can do is contact your MP and let them know your concern about Bill C-7 and its implications. You can also contact Liberal and NDP MPs and tell them that you value the Crisis Pregnancy Centre here in Winnipeg 
and other CPCs across Canada because they are caring for women at a critical time in their lives. Third, we want to practically support our Winnipeg CPC as we collect donations for Mother's Day. You'll hear more about this in a minute and we really encourage you to participate. Fourth, on Thursday, May 12th in the morning at St. Boniface Cathedral, there will be a 100,000 lives flag display that is happening and we want to be a part of this as a church by planting flags and then that will be followed by a private workshop with pro-life lawyer Tabitha Ewart. This is a great opportunity and we really look forward to being able to be more involved in these different areas. Thanks for listening. I personally had never heard of the 100,000 flag display and when I saw the picture and recognized that that represents 100,000 babies each year that are not born, that's close to 300 babies a day that aren't born. That's a crisis. That's something that we need to be concerned about. And uh, so I want to encourage you, uh, you can get this online, there'll be a link for you to get the devotional. You can also pick up a hard copy in front of the Resource Centre, but Amy went around and she talked with people in our city who are involved in Crisis Pregnancy Centre, Life Culture, Ted Falk. This is a devotional that she put together by asking them to write something that would help us uh, think about God and the dignity of life. And the other thing, of course, that you can do is, as we said, for Mother's Day, we want to help the Crisis Pregnancy Center by having enough supplies to meet the needs of the ladies and the families as they come for help. So we want to help them restock their shelves. There's lists to do that. But you also have the ability to make a little layette that would be given directly to a mom. The first time they work with a, a teenager or a mom, they can give her this with practical helps. It has a list inside. Last year, I went to the dollar store. It was actually such a joy to make a bag and then just bring it to the church to bring to the the Crisis Pregnancy Center. So please make use of some of these ways as an act of worship to God and an act of loving our neighbors. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. I know as we were going through our announcements this morning, um, I think we're reminded of just how much brokenness there is in this world. And we can see brokenness on the world stage, we can see brokenness on the national stage, we can see brokenness in our community, and we can see brokenness in our families. And if we look at ourselves and our own struggles with sin, we know that there's brokenness there too. But at the same, the same time as that, we stand together before a savior who gives grace and mercy to anyone who asks. We stand before a savior who heals. He's a healer of brokenness. And, uh, and he's one who gives hope in whatever situation or circumstances there, that there might be. And that's true about our God on every day. And so whatever it is that you've carried in this morning, whatever's been on your heart, whether you've been praying for somebody or you've been praying uh, for, for world issues, you've been praying for things around you, or if you're just struggling yourself, just, let's just bring all of this to Jesus today as we enter into worship. I invite you to stand. Let's stand together and let's sing. I'll be reading from Matthew 22, 15 to 22, and Romans 13, 1 to 7 in the English Standard Version. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. 
Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Rome 13, 1-7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive this, his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes, to whom taxes are owed, revenue, to whom revenue is owed, respect, to whom respect is owed, honor, to whom honor is owed. Amen. Thank you so much, John, for reading the Word of God to us today. And... Uh, Welcome here, those of you who were able to make it through this blustery weather. We're so glad to be able to be together this morning. Uh, I want to begin just by mentioning something uh, rather odd. Some of you might have gotten some spam or scam emails this past week from the church office, and particularly from a fake Terry, um, a person that claimed to be writing like me. And uh, some of these are incredibly clever. They have uh, figured out how to do some things that... Uh, solicit a response, even giving money and, and, and so on. And I want you to just know that um, we are trying to stay on top of this, but there's a, a couple of things you can do if you get something like this. First of all, if you get an email and it seems a little odd or out of, out of the ordinary, don't reply because um, it, it'll advance the scam. Uh, secondly, you can uh, just don't click on any links or attachments. That's another important piece. Take a photo or a screenshot of that and send it to Chris Schrader, our communications guy, or just contact the office and we can do that for you. And, um, and then finally, just delete the email. So um, just want to encourage you on that. Uh, this past week, several of you were phoning or, or, or contacting, uh, and uh, we don't want this to be a, a cause of grief for anybody that uh, actually spends money and uh, sends it somewhere where it should not go. Amen. Well, we're going back into the book of Romans after we've spent some time during Lent and Easter in other parts of the scriptures. And uh, we're going to be looking today in Romans chapter 13 at a very interesting subject. The subject of the sermon this morning is the call to submit to governing authorities. And um, it's indeed uh, a subject that could 
could poke a few bears this morning. So I uh, just want to give you a heads up on that. The call to submit to governing authorities. And before we open up the scriptures, let's just uh, call, uh, pause and let's pray together, shall we? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we live in Canada and we have an incredible, incredible country to call home. No country, no government is perfect. And so this morning as we ponder this scripture and apply it to us, uh, we pray that you will give us your discernment, your wisdom on how to apply this. And Father, we ask you to uh, give us grace as the body of Christ as well that do not always see eye to eye on things like politics. And so help us to see the deeper waters that flow within our hearts because of your spirit and the deeper unity that we have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so would you guide us this morning and we pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. I'd like to begin uh, my message with a quote from a commentary by Eugene Peterson on the book of Revelation. He writes this, Christian communities of faith have St. John's vision by which to distinguish the politics of the dragon from the politics of the Lamb. We are in a crossfire of blustering dragon pretension and powerful lamb meekness. They are equally concerned with the operation and use of power. We choose, either we follow the dragon or we follow the lamb. We are in politics whether we want to be or not." End of quote. <laughs> It was clear from the words of Jesus several times that he had a political message. He would not have repeated the words, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, as many times as he did if he was not somehow speaking about politics. And in that culture, those phrases were politically loaded language. Yet, at that time, as today, they are very misunderstood terms the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus mean? Politics has the, has the uh, meaning of the authority of a ruling power and how they use that power. That's essentially what politics refers to. And we, we Christians, we love to speak of God's power as powerful, but we are not always as excited about the way that God chooses to exercise His power. Many in the time of Christ wanted him to overthrow the Romans with the show of brute force. But Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he showed us the politics of the Lamb. And so today we're going to be looking at some of what Jesus' politics entail. There's a powerful picture in the book of Revelation, by the way, and I want to refer to it. It's found in Revelation chapter 5. And in that passage, John is asking the question, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? That's in verse 2. And it says in the Scripture that no one was found who was worthy. And so John began to weep. And John is crying as he sees this vision of no one being worthy to open the seals and, and so on, look into the scroll. And then in verse 5, we read, one of the elders came to him and he said, Weep no more. For behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then what's interesting, what happens is that John, in his vision, 
turns to look at the lion of the tribe of Judah, and what does he see? He sees a lamb instead. He sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain, it says in verse 6. All of the living creatures that were standing around and all of the elders that were there fell down before the lamb who was slain, and they worshipped him. Why? Because he was worthy to open the seals and to read the scroll. This is the picture that we're given. God's kingdom is not carried out through might and right and violence and force. God's kingdom is carried out through suffering and sacrifice. Later in Revelation, there's a picture again of the Lamb of God. Just before we're introduced to Him again, we read in chapter 12, verse 3, about a red dragon. In chapter 13, verse 1, we read about a beast that rises up out of the sea. In chapter 13, verse 11, we read about another beast who comes from the land. And these three, the dragon, the beast, sea, sea beast, and the land beast, are this satanic trinity that takes aim against all followers of the Lamb of God, Jesus. And what we see happen in chapter 14, 1 and following is that the Lamb of God overcomes the three that are stacked against us. The Lamb of God overcomes demonic forces. It is very clear to me that not only throughout the Bible as we look at it, but in the very last statement that God gives us in the Bible, which is the book of Revelation, we see a statement that is of political nature. Christians typically have fallen off one side of the fence or the other when it comes to politics. Two mistakes that we can make. The first mistake that we can make as Christians is that we align the kingdom of Jesus completely with one particular political party or leader. And we put way too much hope in that party or in that leader. That's a huge mistake a lot of Christians make. And the second mistake that can be happening is that we focus on heaven and we completely disengage with the politics here on earth. And we are basically of no worth to the citizenship of the country that we live in on earth. I don't believe God calls us to either of these. For we do indeed care for this planet. We care for our country. We care for our neighbors and the people around us. And we're called to, to see change take place because a lot of change is needed, but we're called to do it the Lamb's way and not the world's way. We're called to do it the Lamb's way, not through power and polls and politicking. You know, interesting, this week as I wrote the word politicking into my Word document, spell check didn't like it, and you know what word it came up with? Potlicking. <laughs> See, I thought I might just leave that in the sermon. Potlicking. Potlicking and politicking. They might go hand in hand. Well, in the scripture that John read, one of them was Matthew chapter 22, and we see in the time of Jesus a moment in his ministry when he was being trapped. There was an unholy alliance that was being formed against him. It was between two bedfellows that you would not normally see together. One of them was a religious sect called the Pharisees. We see a lot of them in the scripture. The other was a political sect that was called the Herodians. You read about them in chapter 22 of Matthew. Now, these two groups did not agree. The Herodians were pro-Herod, pro-Rome. The Pharisees were anti-Rome. 
And yet they could agree on one thing, that this guy called Jesus was a danger to, their, to Rome and to religion. And so they teamed up, and they decided they would seek to trap him. And they, um, they came to Jesus with a trick question. Now, it's interesting that Jesus responds the question with a question. And by the way, just a little trivia... I, I read that somebody took the time once to read how, or find out how many questions are in the Gospels that Jesus bears witness to. And in, in the Gospels, we read 183 questions that people ask Jesus. 183 questions. But Jesus asks 307 questions. <laughs> Interesting how Jesus often responded with a question to get to the heart of where they were going. So Jesus asked someone to show him a coin that was used to pay taxes, and when he saw whose image was on it, he said, whose image is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And then Jesus responded, well then, uh, pay unto Caesar, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. It was a brilliant answer, of course, because Jesus was drawing a line between the two kingdoms. He was identifying the fact that the subjects of His kingdom also have the responsibility of being worthy citizens of the earthly kingdom that they live in physically. He was saying, Caesar has the right to require from you respect, honor, revenue, and taxes from all the subjects that are under His kingdom. And Jesus has a claim on all who are under His domain where His image is stamped which is upon every human soul. Let the coin be used as the image bearer of the emperor, and let the human life be used as the image bearer of the Lord God. For indeed, God created every human being in His own image and after His own likeness. Jesus was making a very important political statement here, though. He was saying, He was setting out the validity of human governments while at the same time setting their limitations drawing boundaries around their realm of authority. And it is likely that this scripture in Matthew 22 is the very launching pad that gave Paul the Apostle the text that we read about today in Romans chapter 13. So let's think about Romans 13 right now. And the first thing I want to talk about is the context of Romans 13. And I call this very point, this introductory point, Christians in the crossfire of first century Rome. Rome at that time was known for its political corruption, its autocratic rule, its brutal military force, and its persecution of any minority group that got in the way of its agenda. Okay? These four things Rome was known for. The letter that we are studying was written to a group of Jesus followers, which was really, in Roman eyes, a Jewish sect. And they were writing, uh, Paul is writing to this group of followers of Jesus who are in the capital city of Rome, of all places. We must understand the context if we're going to understand how to apply it to the Christian attitude toward government in 21st century Canada. So let me say this. In Canada, we are not living under the same kind of political climate that the Christians were who first received the letter of Paul to the Romans. We're not living under that kind of political climate. Now, do we see corruption on some scale in the Canadian government? Absolutely, we do. Do we agree with the decisions being made about laws that are being reformed? 
Absolutely not. We don't agree with lots that the government is doing. Example in the video that Karen and Amy gave us today about Bill C-7 or about crisis pregnancy centers losing their charitable status. We absolutely do not agree with the values statements that are happening in these kinds of decisions. Do we see ethical and moral decay happening in Canadian society because government restraints are being removed? Absolutely we see that. Do we see increasing intolerance for Christian beliefs, values, and practices? Yes, I'm afraid we do. Do we see even in more recent years, do we witness a growing social agenda that is being thrust upon all citizenship in Canada, as well as an autocratic attitude at some levels of government? I'm afraid to say I think I do see that. You may disagree. These things disturb us. And they ought to. And as citizens of this land, we have the responsibility to raise our voices, write our elected officials, vote with our conscience, and be the salt and light that this land needs. But let me be clear. As the people who follow Jesus, and as the citizens of this kingdom, of God's kingdom, we are not, repeat, not living under first century Rome conditions. We are not. Even these past two years of the pandemic, though we might not have agreed with all the decisions that the various levels of government were making, we as a leadership in our church did not see an anti-Christian persecution restricting our religious freedoms as though the government were picking on us. We saw a government that was caught off guard doing their best to govern during a health crisis with a health care system that was not equipped and was way over capacity. That's what we saw. That's the conclusion that most of us came to. And we had various opinions of yours expressed to the board throughout the pandemic. And, and we, when we responded to some of these or we read some of these, we didn't all agree on the board all the time either. But we sought to lead the congregation according to the Word of God and according to passages like this that call us to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And I want you to see at the outset of this message, I want you to just see two observations before we proceed with the text. And the first one is that the politics of the Lamb taught by Jesus is different than the politics of the world. That's really fundamental. And secondly, Canadian government so far is not in the same league in its treatment of Christians as the Roman government was in the first century. Just want to keep that in mind as we go into the text. Since the time of Jesus Christ living on the earth, the church of his, that bears his name has lived and flourished in every kind of culture, every kind of political climate, monarchies, dictators, democracies, communism, outright anarchy in some countries. Christians can live and thrive even there. The gospel thrived in the Roman Empire. And so Jesus' kingdom and his people are not bound by one political vision. We don't have it here today if we were to talk one political vision. Or are we, nor are we bound by one national identity. I doubt we'd agree on that. But we are bound together to be followers of the Lamb of God and citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And that's what we want to agree on. So then let's look at the text. And then we've got our first point up here. Who are the governing authorities instituted by God? Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person, the word is soul. 
Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. First of all, the, the governing authorities are called God's appointed. Um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Premier Heather Stephenson, Mayor Brian Bowman, according to these verses, exist by God. Secondly, they are instituted by God, a military term. Then finally, they're appointed by God, a religious term of ordination. The, these political leaders are put there by God. Paul teaches that to resist them is to resist God's authority because he put them there, and that's the starting point, okay? That's the starting point, folks. Paul is not advocating here blind devotion to a political leader. He's not advocating obedience to anything that a government will ask of you. He's just laying down the general rule. Secondly, Paul calls them God's servants. In verses 3 and 4, it says these people are God's servants. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now the word that Paul uses twice for the word servant is the word deacon. Justin Trudeau is a deacon. Okay? They are servants. And um, they, are, they are called to act under the Lord God to, to fulfill their task of maintaining a just and orderly society. The word avenger in this scripture is a person who administers the judgment that was decided by a higher court. And they're just acting it out. This is the judgment. He's the avenger. He's not avenging something personal. He's acting in the, in the public good. And he's always, always under authority. And so the officials that we have elected, appointed, or hired at various levels of government are meant to do God's will, maintaining an orderly society, caring for the needs of the community. And of course, they are all under authority, and they all should be held accountable for what they do. Imagine if we had a deacon in our church that was not held accountable. Imagine if we had a deacon within our church that, that just decided to go rogue and start writing checks out of the benevolent fund to himself. Imagine if we had a, a deacon who just started to cater favors to his family and friends. Well, we wouldn't put up with that because they're all under authority, and that's the way government leaders are as well. Next, uh, we read that they are God's ministers. And uh, we read in verse 6, Because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. The word is a word that we get our word liturgy from. It's uh, two words in one. Uh, the one word is the word laetos, where we get our word laity, the people. And the other word is the word ergon, which is the word work. So these are people that do the work on behalf of the people. That's what a minister of the public service is, one of the government leaders. That's what God calls them. Paul is careful to call them God's ministers, not our servants or our ministers. In a democracy, we can think that they're really our servants and they ought to do our bidding for their riding. But it says in the Scriptures they're God's servants. And so most people in public office would not think of themselves maybe as God's servants, but that's what God's Word calls them. And even bad governments, 
can sometimes be better than no government. The lowest time in Israel's history was the time of the judges. It says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It was almost anarchy in Israel. And every once in a while, as you read the book of Judges, God would raise up a judge and they would command leadership and they would get organized. And it was peaceful again. Interesting. Let's move on to the next point, and that is the question, how are Christians to live under governing authorities that God has instituted? And the first thing that Paul says is to be subject to them. A military term again, referring to soldiers that are ranked according to superior officers. And that's the default position of the Christian, is, is that all things considered equal, the default position of any Christian is to submit to the governing authorities that means the law courts, the police services, the city management, the provincial laws, the tax laws, and so on. And we seek to abide under that governing authority to be good citizens and so on. Secondly, Paul says that we're supposed to do what is good. Verse 3, uh, he talks about that. And uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, we're going to be preaching through this fall, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5-7, to and Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, it's important that society sees that this group called Christians, we're weird enough, okay folks? We're weird enough without having to draw more attention to ourselves. So make sure you, you're all about doing good things, okay? And that's what Jesus says. That's the politics of the Lamb. And so... In, 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 in like manner, Peter, later in his life, writes this, be subject, 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it to be the, the emperor as supreme, the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you Christians, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people and live such lives as free lives, not using your freedom, though, as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so this doing good is also what we're called to do, living under the government that we have. Thirdly, it says in verse 5, we're to keep a clean conscience. Verse 5, Paul adds one more reason why we should obey the governing authorities. One is to avoid God's wrath, but it's also for the sake of conscience. So what is that all about? Well, as you know, when the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within the person who sees the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who died to forgive them of their sin, the Holy Spirit of God begins to take residency in the heart of a Christian. And He begins to sharpen the conscience. The Word of God becomes your diet, and the truth of God begins to hone your conscience so that it's sharp, it's defined, you know you love what God loves and you hate what God hates and your conscience is ready to tell you what is good and bad and so on. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in this world, and here, listen to this, with simplicity, Godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. That's, that's what a conscience honed by God will lead you to do. You will live that way. You see God's values lived out. Simplicity, integrity, a clean conscience, sincerity, grace, godly wisdom. 
You see, a Christian who's always looking for ways to cut corners, a Christian who is always looking for ways to, to dodge taxes, to hide from the authorities, to be not completely honest and transparent, that Christian is going to eventually have a guilty conscience if they're in any way walking with Jesus. The Holy Spirit will do His job. And uh, your own heart and your own thoughts will start to condemn you before God. None of us want to live there, folks. We don't want to live there. And so God's Word calls us over and over again, keep a clean conscience. Keep a clean conscience. I debated whether I should share this story or not, but I think it, it adds some flesh to the bone. I told you last week about this 1987 Ford Ranger that I borrowed from my dad when we got back from Bolivia and he was unable to drive anymore. And so for three years, when I was pastor at White Ridge Baptist Church, I had this old beaten up truck from, with Ontario plates. Okay. Now I may maybe develop some bad driving habits in Bolivia, I'll blame that. And so I got a ticket one day and I went down to Broadway to pay my ticket, but there was no parking spots around. And so I saw a parking spot ahead of a fire hydrant and I thought, well, I'm going to be really quick. And so I went and parked ahead of the fire hydrant. I went into the, the courthouse, whatever it's called, the uh, government office, and I paid my ticket. I walked out and there's a woman, a, tar a parking attendant, writing me a ticket. So I went up to her, and I'm, I'm sorry, this is a confession, okay? I, I couldn't believe the words that were coming out of my mouth. I was explaining to her how I was from Ontario. <laughs> I was born there. Um, and I, you know, she could see the plates, and, and she was great. She said, well, I think you can't park ahead of fire hydrants in Ontario either. Anyway, long story short, she was so kind, she ripped up the ticket. And so I got in my truck and I started driving away. And did I start praising the Lord? No, no. Do you know what the Holy Spirit started to do? Started to deal my conscience. I drove around the block. I found her. I walked up to her and I said, I lied to you. I live here, bore my dad's truck. I know I shouldn't park at a fire hydrants and so on. That's what I had to do. You know, it, this is terrible to say how the story ends. I'll tell you because you're going to ask me. She, ripped, or she, she didn't give me a ticket. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that the means justifies the end, okay, here. Um, I felt bad, and I was prepared to take the ticket. The point is, keep a clean conscience before the, the Lord as to how you live in the laws of this land. And then finally, Paul says, render to them what you owe them. Verses 6 and 7. He mentions four things, taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. And uh, perhaps it's helpful to know that in the latter years of the Roman government, uh, it was slowly degenerating into almost a welfare state. You see, there were so many people not working in Rome. There were fewer and fewer people paying taxes. And, and they were more dependent on government aid and, and Roman help. And uh, so those who did pay taxes often paid high taxes. Add to that that there were more slaves in Rome than free people, free men and women. Rome was becoming almost like a welfare state. 
And it was hardly uh, what would you call a just society. Add to this, add to this that Jewish and Christian taxpayers had a really, really inner conflict every time they paid their taxes because they knew that some of their taxes were going to support pagan temples. Priests and priestesses and buildings that were dedicated to ungodly worship. That's what their taxes were going to. So you can imagine the dilemma that many Christians had going to pay their taxes. And I think you need to remember this when you read Romans 13. This is still Paul writing in that climate for Christians to be in subjection and to render to the governing authorities what they owe. Revenue, taxes, respect, and honor. Now, probably most of the people that were listening to this first letter did not have trouble maybe just paying their taxes. But they probably had trouble rendering respect and honor to a government leader that was corrupted and self-serving. And the key to understanding how they got around that was to go back to what God calls them. God's ministers, God's servants, God's appointed. We must remember that the instruction to give respect and honor to those who it belongs to does not mean that those who give, we give it to are always behaving in a respectful and honorable way for us to do so. It is the office that you respect, not the person. And you respect the person who fills the office because God put them there. And this applies to any realm of God's authority on earth. You call it the family or the church or the government. Many times I've sat across the table from a young person who is weeping or is struggling with how they are to honor their father and mother when their father or mother are acting very dishonorably. Does it mean that the fifth commandment that comes with a promise doesn't apply to you because you have a dishonorable, disrespectful parent? No, it doesn't. God put them there as your parent, and you're called to honor and respect them and obey them until they supersede and, or until they somehow go beyond their authority and an, a higher authority has to kick in and you disobey based on a higher authority than your mom or dad. But sometimes we're just called to honor dishonorable parents, folks. And sometimes we're called just to honor and give respect to dishonorable and disrespectful government leaders because it's the office that God has placed them in. And that leads to our final point this morning, and that is, uh, when should Christians resist government authority? And there's three, and these are simple. I think you know this, but let's go through them quickly. Number one is when asked to violate a clear command of God. It's very clear, isn't it, that um, we, can't, we can't obey a human institution if they're violating God's command. An, an example of this is found in Acts chapter 5 where Peter and John have been preaching they were arrested and then they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus ever again. They were released the next morning. Actually, they weren't released. They got out of jail in a really interesting way. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they are out there in the market square preaching the next day. 
And they're arrested again, and they come before the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council, this authority structure, and they're told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And what is their response? We must obey God rather than men. And you know, if, if you say that, if you do that, you need to be prepared to take the consequences that come when you say, I'm not obeying you, government authority, I'm obeying God. Well, guess what happened to Peter and John? They had a severe beating laid on them. They were bruised and bleeding, and they left the Sanhedrin council that day and went back to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says in verse 41 of Acts chapter 5, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. So yes, you have the right and the responsibility to disobey governing authorities if that governing authority is clearly calling you to disobey a command of God, but you also better be ready to take the consequences that come with being the citizen of that country with those rules and laws. Secondly, perhaps we should be resisting God's, our government authorities when we're asked to do an immoral act. Similar to the first, but let's think about Genesis chapter 39, Joseph. Joseph is hired to be the servant of Potiphar. And while Potiphar, this high official in Egypt, is off doing his business, he's, Joseph finds himself alone with servants and Potiphar's wife in the house. And one day, Potiphar's wife tells him to come to bed with her. And he refuses. And he says in Genesis 39, verse 9, How can I do this great wickedness? And then he says this, And sin against God. Now he'd be sinning against Potiphar as well. But he doesn't say that. He says, Sin against God. You see, before you sin against any other person that's in your life, whether it's through slander or gossip or, or, or just unforgiveness or whatever, before you've sinned against them, you've first sinned against God. And so Joseph refuses this offer. And because he refuses it, he is framed, he is falsely accused, he is sent to prison, and he pays the consequences of not doing that. But God is with him. And then finally, I think when we're asked to violate our own conscience, that's another time when perhaps you need to disobey government authorities. We've talked about this earlier, but 1 Peter 3.15 says this, In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now the Scriptures hold up the matter of a clean conscience and particularly, it seems that when the conscience is mentioned, it's often mentioned in regards to how the watching world is judging us, our faith, and our Lord, and our Christianity. That's when we are specially called to maintain a clean conscience. We don't want anything to hinder the witness. Nothing do we want to shame the name of Jesus. We want to hold high the name of Christ, and we don't want to put a stumbling block in any person that is on their way to faith, on their way to Jesus. And so as the Holy Spirit convicts us, and as our conscience speaks, we keep short accounts 
And it means that sometimes we, we go to a neighbor and, and apologize for something that happened uh, over the fence. Or we go to uh, somebody that we've wronged or an ethical moral conduct issue in, in the marketplace or a business dealing. We, we keep short accounts. We, we keep a clean conscience. But of course, we, we can't talk about conscience without talking about what informs the conscience. Okay? This is a very important part of this talk. It's, it's what is informing your conscience. As I said earlier, the Scriptures ought to be the primary source of truth that informs your conscience. In fact, the Word of God should form, inform, reform, and transform your conscience so that it is sharp as a double-edged sword and ready to follow through on what God says you should be feeling and acting upon in any moment. But unfortunately, folks, our consciences are informed by not the best sources. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's news broadcasts, there's media publications, there's web pages, and we get stuck. And, and, and the algorithms just, just, just keep on pumping out the stuff that you look at and you feed your mind on, and your conscience is getting informed, but folks, sometimes it's getting misinformed. And so indeed, you ought to sometimes follow your conscience and not believe something, not do something, not follow through on something, but actually, you're pr you might be misinformed. Now, it's probably still important that you don't violate your conscience but oh, how important it is that we keep our instruments clean and refreshed in the Word of God. Now, I know I'm touching on some very sensitive issues because during the last two years of COVID-19, we have all had different sources that we have been looking to. And those sources have been informing our conscience on how we respond to vaccines and how we respond to government legislation and how we respond to mandates and so on. And sometimes we think someone else is, is, is misinformed and they think we're misinformed. And we have not all agreed on this stuff. And guess what, folks? We're going to talk about that May-June because we're talking about Romans 14 and 15 next. And guess what Paul addresses in Romans 14 and 15? He says, you know, you, you folks in Rome, you're not getting along. You, fo you folks in Rome, you don't see eye to eye on things that are happening, not on the basis of your unity in Christ, not on the gospel. That's not what's causing problems. It's the, the weaker, stronger brother thing. And some people would call the other camp the weaker brother, and they would call the other camp the weaker brother, but the, but the point is, it doesn't matter what you're calling who, the principles for both sides are the same. And that's what we're going to discuss in the, in the weeks to come. And in fact, that would be my most important final thought and comment to us this morning on this matter. Because I don't think most of us are not subjecting ourselves to the government. I don't think we have a bunch of renegade, rogue Christians here. But I do believe that the problem in how we relate to each other is of great importance. And so let me pray as we, as we think about this. Father in heaven, we thank you for this scripture that 
You've given us in Your Word. Lord, I want, I want us all to understand the politics of the Lamb. So very, so very different than the politics of the world, different than the politics of the dragon. Oh God, I pray that You'd help us to understand how we live out the politics of the Lamb and how we live with each other as, as well as how we live under the government that You've given us. Show us how we can be salt and light. Show us how we can be the conscience of society. Show us how we can be that yeast, that leaven in the lump that actually affects others. And Lord, lead us to be your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord God, it says in your word that you give your wisdom to anyone who asks for it. And so we rejoice that essentially we can know that in many ways we can walk and live and choose and discern with the mind of Christ our Savior. May it be true, Lord, of us that we act and talk with your wisdom. May it be true of us that we speak with your truth. May the truth of Christ be known through us. Lord, I pray that the forgiveness of Christ would be known through us as well and the grace of Christ and how we interact with each other and how we interact with some of these things that Pastor Terry's been talking about in our society. May we speak graciously and may we speak with an attitude of forgiveness. And Lord, may the love of Christ be known through us that more and more people would see you. I pray that you give us that wisdom in all of those things. And I pray that you bless each one of us as we go from here. May you be praised by how we live out this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, have a wonderful day.